Hello, I'm Kenza, and this is the Finding Space podcast. Welcome back to the Finding Space podcast. This week, I interview British track and road cyclist Dan Bigham. Dan is best known for riding with trade team Hoob Wattbike, who have won countless national and World Cup titles. For this conversation, we met up in Derby, where we discussed mental health, science and sport, and the importance of empowering athletes. We joined the discussion as Dan is talking about the pros and cons of working with a small team. Enjoy. Yeah, it's a blessing and a curse, really, in that a lot of people have a lot of great ideas and we're never short of new things to try. But on the other hand, yeah, you do get overloaded of where do you spend your time, money and effort. And unfortunately, we are limited on that. There is only us here. We don't have a massive budget and a load of support staff who can go and ask those answer those questions that we want to ask. So we have to be quite selective in, in what we want to do. Um, but also, yeah, it's quite nice to have differing opinions on it. So we might not all be experts in specific fields. So Johnny's pretty up to, to scratch on the psychology front, Tipper on the physiology and try on the aero front as well but it, it's good to question each other and be a bit more critical I think that's well, that's the whole point of science right to to put out your your whatever your thoughts may be and be open to criticism and and structured feedback and that's something that's benefited us in, in getting fast fast that we can yeah try new things and and be critical of it and, and move quickly to to sort of involve the things that do work with with how we get by and how we how we train and how we we race do you think that's been a major difference between what other people do, what other nations and teams? I think so. I think a lot of people settle with, we've answered that question, let's move on. It's like, well, unfortunately, you, you never, you shouldn't ever sit still on any of that stuff. So we, there's plenty of different examples and um, might be like, so sodium bicarb usage. We, we had a strategy back in 2017 that at the time was actually pretty good, fairly cutting edge, but... We've developed that significantly now. We've pretty much eliminated GI distress, non, non-issue for us. We've got our, well, actually, I don't want to give too much away on the performance benefits of it. But, yeah, we've got that all dialed in, I think, well beyond what most of the nations have even considered to, to even look at, uh, whether it's our carbon fiber extensions, something that we started nearly two years ago now, uh, and now probably the most refined solution out there. But we could have stopped at, at version one and said, that works, it's great, let's go with it. Whereas now... There's always little improvements. Yeah, it's, it's harder. The low-hanging fruit has long since been picked, but you can still continue to improve and continue to move on and, and get better at whatever you are doing. And what do you think is the core reason for four or five guys from England, middle of nowhere, being able to do that compared to huge-backed national bodies? How can you move so quickly when... I mean, obviously, they are doing things. I'm not... You know, these teams are doing a lot, but you seem to be able to catch up much more quickly. I think removal of red tapes, the massive one, it, it still boils down to the fact we are just riders. There isn't staff members telling us what to do. Like, yes, we do go out there and pick the brains of some really smart people like Steve Fortner, like Medi Cordy. Um, but at the same time, we are just going out there and picking the brains and then utilizing it immediately. Whereas taking NGB, for example, they might claim to be athlete centric. They're not effectively the structure is always coach centric. So you have a coach who then approaches an aerodynamicist, a physiologist, a biomechanist, a psychologist, and picks and chooses what he wants, filters it out, 
and then gives it to the athlete. And the athlete then has to digest that and use that in their own performance, whether it's training, racing, whatever it might be. Um, but it's just another level of red tape, another level of overhead to go through. Whereas actually we're here, we've got skin in the game, as the, as the phrase goes, we're, we're here because we want to be here, not because we're paid to be here or told to be here. So we we want to embrace anything that's going to make us go fast. We've all stalled our careers or put on hold, whatever else it might be that we'd, we'd be getting up to, to, to get involved in this project. So we want, we want to succeed, simple as that. And if it means that you've got to act quickly on whatever the latest science says or whether the new nerd that you found on the internet is on you, then uh, you absolutely need to, to do that. Else, Someone else will and they'll beat you to it. That phrase you said there, athlete-centric, for me, that's sort of, even though the science is incredibly important and that, that's what drives you and, and pushes you with performance, but that athlete-centric attitude is kind of what keeps the team going in terms of you're empowering everyone and do you think that is quite a rare obviously you're talking about all the red tape but then also just that thing of because you could quite easily have come in and said right I'm in charge I only want people who are going to listen to me and sort of manage it in that way but you don't do that and as you've touched on already you're constantly all sitting down talking together working on your new ideas do you think that is something that teams are missing out on uh definitely yeah that athletes can't have control of their own destiny they don't have what's the word autonomy to go out there and and do their own thing they they need permission they need support from those structures around them and don't get me wrong we definitely do need support and we do get great support but we're out there searching for the right people that enable us to do what we want to do and i don't think i could ever be in a system where i'm just sitting at the i guess at the top as the boss saying no do it this way or, or get out because they actually come up with some of the best ideas and i like that approach that nothing's off the table that everything we do is open to criticism and we've just had a new mechanic join us in rich steels uh so we had mark acres last year and yeah, unfortunately didn't get him back with with how beeline's going this year he's their main man so they needed him but rich has come on board and yeah he's a bike mechanic that's what he's there for but i said to him be open absolutely anything you see of how you think we could do things better we're all ears and he's literally after our first two World Cups sent me an email of about 30 different things that he thinks we should be looking at and yeah some of them I, I don't agree with and I'll, I can discuss with him the science that we've got behind why I don't think that's the right but then some of the ideas are actually really really good that we haven't thought about so yeah everything's open for absolutely everybody to to look at and I mean you've seen it when when we've been at races you've pulled up floors and you've seen us argue and bicker but also at the same time take on ideas from quite literally everybody in the room and yeah I mean yeah. I've, I've been in those meetings as you say and and it's quite an amazing experience to just be in an environment where you don't shut down anyone if you've got just whoever coming I mean even me who's there as a creative someone who's taking photos something that doesn't really affect things on the front line in terms of performance but I might see something I might notice something you will listen to me and I would voice things and it might not be on the same level of performance side but it was just amazing being in that environment where no one was shut down and that's quite a unique thing I imagine yeah nobody has their place because everyone's there to make the team go fast whether it's yeah, you were there as a creative and the idea by extension is you're helping sponsors they can then get the exposure market they can fund us etc so it's some of a convoluted cycle but you still eyes and ears on the ground you still see things and and judge things and 
yeah, your background isn't in engineering or aero or whatever it might be, but that doesn't mean that your opinion is any less valid because you've seen something that could be done better and would be stupid not to listen to that. This whole sort of empowerment of the athlete and sort of listening and being open, that has a huge implication on the mental health of the team, the morale of the team, and you're almost putting mental health first in a way because you're listening to everyone and you're making sure everyone's okay, making sure everyone's enjoying it and you're all on the right path. Was that a conscious thought at the start or is that something that you now look back on and think oh we are actually paying a big attention to mental health and that is helping our performance i think in some ways it happened by accident but probably because of the nature of how we came about we didn't come about as a we are going to build this amazing high performance sports team and we should have this structure with this approach and this ethos and this is what's important to us. It actually just came about as quite literally a bunch of mates trying to ride the team pursuit fast. And at the start, I wouldn't say we took it as a joke, but we took it as enjoyment. And I think that's why we're all in cycling anyway. We we enjoy riding our bikes and enjoy riding them fast. And we were there for different reasons. And me, obviously, I've spoke at length and said this is the nerdy side that, that attracts me to the sport. But some of it is quite literally going out and chasing KOM segments. Some of it's going out exploring. Some of the guys like sitting in a cafe, shooting the wind with their mates and having a, a nice coffee. But we're all in it for our own reasons. Um, but back then, yeah, it was the enjoyment. And I think living with a load of mates, trying to ride your bike fast and take on the biggest nations in the world, then, yeah, it was the fun side of it. It was seen as like quite a cool, cool challenge. And we always rated morale as quite a high performance metric. And go out there and you can say oh, your aerodynamic drag coefficient or your system mass or your roll resistance coefficient or your critical power or anaerobic work capacity all metrics and variables that matter in the world of cycling performance but how few people sit and look at morale and say well if you're enjoying it you got a smile on your face you want to wake up and find the next reason to go fast or the next bit of improvement or even to to go and train hard and properly as a group of mates then yeah it's, it's a big factor and so many teams and nations seem to ignore that rider mental health is a, is a massive part of performance and I guess we never acknowledged it as mental health we quite literally have always called it morale <laughs> um, it's just I guess another way of thinking about how good a state you're in and don't get me wrong we've had had our lows Johnny's had his troubles with with his mental health and myself too I've had moments where I quite literally just sat in the shower crying thinking this is fucking stupid I don't want to be here um, why am I putting myself through all this stress and hassle to to just ride my bike when all this stuff I could quite easily just get rid of and have an easy life but actually when you go through the race and I think it was a bit of a watershed moment after Glasgow World Cup because I'd been to Minsk this is literally just a few weeks ago um, and honestly didn't enjoy very much of it sat there like not winning I put all this effort in I'm stressed I'm not performing I'm ill I miss being at home, I miss family, I miss my girlfriend, all that kind of stuff. And then you go to Glasgow and you're like, actually, no, we are performing, we are where we need to be. And I quite literally have written down in my notebook, you do want to be here because I literally thought, I don't want to be here, I'd, be, I'd rather be anywhere else. But actually, when you get there and you appreciate when you do perform, that is what you want, that is what all the effort's for. Um, and just reminding yourself that to enjoy the moment and make sure that you do put everything wholeheartedly into that performance and you're not sitting on the start line going I'd rather be anywhere else in the world and do you think there's pressure to walk away as in is it hard because obviously you had that moment where you sat down and it's like I do actually want to be doing this but if you're in a situation where you're a contracted rider obviously there's been quite documented this year with certain riders just walking away from it in their their peak for reasons i mean i don't particularly know but 
it's seemingly Marcel Kittel's walked away from a sprint career at arguably the prime of sort of age that you should be performing. When you're in a situation where you guys are just all doing it for yourself, there's no like body above you sort of telling you to do it. Has that ever been like, I can't, I can't walk away because other people are relying on me or does that, have you ever thought about that um, sort of pressure? Yes. I think there's there's two different sides to that. So you, yeah, the, the second point of you can't walk away because people are lying on me. Yes, I do always feel that pressure. I feel that I'm accountable to my team. Um, and in some ways it can be a negative forceful pressure, which I don't think is a, way, a good way of motivating, of thinking, shit, well, if I don't do this, then that I'm letting them down. And I don't think that's a good way to motivate people that that you're a negative side. You should look at the positive side of why you should be motivating people of making sure they're enjoying it, making sure they get what they want from why they want to be riding their bike. Um, and yeah, the other side, I mean, looking at why Kittle retired and, and why other athletes have as well. I think like in Formula One, Nico Rosberg was in a similar case where he said, look, I'm missing my children growing up. And it, it kind of comes back to what I said the other week that sometimes athletes don't want to be there and they do miss out on those key things in life of yeah their, their child's birth their childhood and living your life over facetime it's not a fun way to be but on the other hand actually our life is this we are living with our best mates and thankfully we do get to see our family still a reasonable amount because we have that free choice we're not deciding to live on the other side of the world or going training camps all the time we're actually you know, we're still based in derby we can still go back home and I would never stop any uni in the team. It's something I've actively encouraged. Like Cal's first asked me like a couple of weeks after we moved here, he's like, is it okay if I go home and see my parents? I was like, mate, why are you even asking me? Like, you can be where the hell you want as long as you perform on race day. I don't care. Am I right in saying you have actually looked at it though on a scientific level? Because there was a picture I took of you at the Road Nationals TT and you were warming up and you had written on your hand smile and i think happy maybe uh there was one one was arrow and one was one was smile yeah you got that yeah and what was the meaning behind that uh yeah there was good papers on it uh i actually read that in a book called the book's called endure but the the sort of subcaption is uh the curiously elastic limits of human performance a guy called alex hutchinson so he commentated on the original uh breaking two night project uh yeah night project uh just a really interesting guy but he pulled together a lot of really good modern science on yeah all the the elastic limits or yeah fairly elastic limits of human performance and a lot of it just came down to it's all in your head (laughs) which is quite a nice take home from it but one of the really nice ones was if you smile during especially endurance based performance then your rate of perceived exertion drops measurably um so he he'd gone around he was trying to break i can't remember what time it was something pretty quick like a 220 marathon uh, and he got family and friends he said look can you be at these strategic locations on the course i just make me laugh don't care what it is just make me laugh and they had like funny signs they'd made or crack jokes at him or whatever it might be but just smiling the nature of it releases certain hormones that reduce your rate of perceived exertion so one thing for me right on my thumbs <coughs> left thumb is aero just reminds me all the time keep my head down and keep keep aero because that, that's how i'm going to win I'm, I'm not winning by uh, pushing the pedals around harder than anybody else you know the second one's to smile i think it helps as well just uh yeah try and uh keep focused on it but also remember you have to enjoy it do you think it's possible to put the enjoyment of sport and making sure the athlete is happy first and then building everything around it or do you think performance would then suffer it's not a clear-cut one i wish it was they're, they're very heavily intertwined that's for sure and i know performance at the highest end does come from having good mental health 
But that's not to say that all of us haven't had our own struggles and troubles that possibly do make us more resilient to to the challenges that we all face as athletes. Um, and there's definitely all been days where we, we've struggled through sessions and struggled through days and even weeks where things haven't been going well, you're stressed, you're pressured. And sometimes you need that stress and pressure to adapt, to force through and, and also equally to enjoy the good days because the good days are only good days because they're relative to, to those crappy bad ones that you've had. That being said, I think there's a balancing act that every NGB, every team, every sports setup should consider that athletes need to have good mental health. They shouldn't be bullied. They shouldn't feel that they can't speak up, that they can't seek help, that it's seen as a weakness. And some teams definitely are not structured in that way, that if you show weakness, it's held against you. And I wholly disagree with that. And guys in our team have, have talked pretty candidly and openly about the struggles that they've been through and when they're feeling good and when they're not feeling good I think we all make it pretty obvious how we feel and I think that's a good environment to be in that no one's afraid to sometimes throw their toys out the pram and say this is not I wholly disagree I feel like shit or I'm not performing and it's this reason that reason or even it's your fault and you've done this wrong and to be able to be that open probably takes a great deal. Um, I think we've all let down a lot of our barriers because of that. Uh, it'd be nice to think that the sports teams could have the same kind of structure. I think it's just going to take a great deal to get there uh, and a great deal of commitment. But it, how that looks, I don't know. I think enjoyment of sport is critical, but do they go hand in hand with performance? It depends on the structure. I think in our case, yes, because of how we are structured. But in others, then... I guess it comes down to, to what you enjoy from sport really as well. I think you have to accept it as part and parcel of high performance that a pressured environment is what sometimes does get the results. That's not to say that mental health goes down. I think you can exist in a good mental state within a pressured environment. It's just making sure you have the mechanisms to support that and not to beat them down and let people fester away internally. They've got to be open and candid. You had a time at the Commonwealth Games which... I've spoken to you about before. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've spoken about it publicly as well, that it wasn't the best experience. What was it like going through that GB journey? Mm. And how did it differ, I guess, in terms of having complete, not control. complete control, because you, yeah. but you in an environment where you have control and, and open. And it goes, yeah. So yeah, it was a weird one. We'd been performing very well on the track um, and I got into that environment and the way they train and also the, the fact that everything is told to uh, yeah to be dictated to you. You're going to train this way, do these efforts in this order, and you just sit there, you wear this kit, this skin suit, this helmet. Um, and yeah, nothing was kind of, even down to what gear you would run in the warm-up and in, in the actual efforts. I've not really been told that before. I'd always kind of pick my own things from their own reason, their own logic. Um, but yeah, I was, ha- I was happy to go along for a reasonable amount of time, but then obviously inevitably questions uh, both ways were asked I was asking why we're we doing this why aren't we doing that what's your thoughts on this should we try that how do you calculate this why don't we look at this metric uh, and then other athletes as well saying oh what about doing uh, what are your thoughts on this helmet should I wear that helmet this helmet should I run this wheel set that wheel set whatever it might be um, so that was it was okay I didn't perform outrageously well I don't think in training other than probably a handful of sessions where myself and Charlie were just like the last two standing in some of the team pursuit stuff so I think I was going well but uh, for the the Worlds I didn't get selected for the six in the team pursuit um, obviously a four ride as well and I was like well surely in the top six when you look at all like that we did like flying laps and 
uh, kilos and team pursuit stuff and all that kind of stuff and I was always one of the, the fastest couple or so anyway um, yeah I didn't get selected for that only for the IP and I kind of scratched my head a bit but at the time I didn't think too much towards it and maybe didn't see the signs of what had really happened but after, at the end of Worlds uh, Ian Dyer the head coach quite literally sat me down and said you can't continue as you are you, you have to be either a rider or an engineer you can't be both um, which is kind of like Mm, it's a bit weird uh, like I said before I'm, I'm a rider because I'm an engineer that's why I'm in the sport I'm a, I'm a nerd pretty much through and through on that so when, you, when you're when you told basically you can't if you want to be a rider you can't do the bit that you enjoy it's a bit weird and, and the thing that brought brought me into you it, and the yeah. team success exactly that and I, th- I thought anyway they'd be quite open to, to new ideas and new thinking and trying to do things a bit differently but no they were quite literally quite happy to continue as it's always been done and not question the status quo of their system because their system works which yeah you can argue it, it does right they get olympic medals when it matters but it doesn't mean it's the perfect system and if you can objectively and logically say well this is better than that then why wouldn't you continue to improve to to stagnate and accept that, this, that the way things are, have always been done is the right way um i think is a pretty poor argument and we always yeah we change a lot of how we've always done things because our understanding continues to progress so what worked two years ago doesn't always work now because of new ideas and new technology and new understanding that's come along so anyway that was that was worlds I didn't get to ride the team pursuit and I was pretty frustrated by that and um, he also said that it would take a great deal for me to get a ride in the team pursuit at Commonwealth Games even though that because the team's splitting up and obviously we go to our home nations we're no longer Great Britain it's England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales I was told you'd be fifth man you'd be reserve you'd have to warm up and do everything else but you probably won't get a ride but I said well what would it take me to get a ride like tell me lap splits turn length numbers whatever you want tell me what I've got to do to, to get a spot and they said no I can't it's just going to take you, you you're not going to have to put you can't put a foot wrong you basically just got to be perfect between now and the race and I don't think I really put a foot wrong to be honest I uh, did what was asked in every single effort didn't get dropped executed pretty much every turn spot on I uh, got to Australia I had a bad first session it's two days after I probably hadn't travelled that well uh, and got dropped in effort and that was held against me pretty much like well you didn't get around that one how are you going to get around the race and I was like alright whatever I mean I went on and did a pretty rapid IP time and I think it was 6th or 7th in that yeah but just obviously not fast enough I think being on the other side of the world, you're not so good, not in such good contact with family and friends, and in a time when mentally I was, yeah, struggling a lot because of the fact that I felt so much pressure in every single effort you need to perform perfectly, and then realised pretty quick that stupid little things were being held against me for reasons to not ride me when I knew wholeheartedly I was capable of doing a very good ride in a team pursuit and in still quite good form. Uh, so throughout that week, I just. I think I struggled through a lot of stuff and tried to just busy myself with work and getting other things done and I got on fairly well with a lot of the athletes but not so so well probably with the staff and just got a lot of awkward comments I think from staff or well, not all of them it was just yeah ones that got in my head a bit and thinking well why why are we doing things like this and why are you asking that and yeah why are we doing these sessions and uh, it's just really hard so anyway yeah the, the IP went okay team suit I didn't get a ride kilo went pretty shit uh, I think I'd lost my head by that point. Um, quite literally just sat in track centre by myself. I was like, the, the mechanics didn't seem too helpful with me. They weren't interested in my bike. They weren't interested in Charlie's and the other guys. And didn't want to do anything I'd asked. I mean, I'd taken my own TT bike out there because I was, I was due to ride the road time trial as well. Um, I had loads of things that I needed doing on it to, to prepare and just didn't get done. Um, yeah, and I just sat in track centre. And I remember mum texting me after saying, like, 
uh, just so basically she was just so upset in the stands she could see that effectively I was just getting rejected by the the team there and about the only people I got on with were the Swan years it was really really quite an odd environment um I spent a lot of time actually over with the Scottish guys just because Johnny was there and it was good for morale to just see a familiar face and, and see him it comes back to that whole never meet your heroes thing of like you think GB this amazing system that everything's done perfectly and that they go out and win medals because the everything's spot on and actually yeah mental health in there is pretty poor and athletes are treated personally i think relatively speaking to how we treat each other pretty badly um and there's a lot more to be said and the problem is that so many of them don't want to be open i've spoken to probably close on 10 different athletes within gb system all of who have pretty some fairly bad experiences within there but won't for the life of them say a single thing about it because that's their funding they speak up they get their funding cut or booted off the program and, and that's that. That's the end of their career. They don't have plan B of fallback. And I guess I was quite lucky that I was within who bought bike at the time and can, can go and continue racing at World Cup levels. And worst comes to worst, I'll just get a job. <laughs> I, I, I do have a degree to fall back on. I was, I was lucky. But I think it's it's sad that athletes, even though they're told, yeah, be open, be candid and, and, and tell us all your problems, that actually if they do that, they get held against them to to then find a reason to get them kicked off the program and it comes back to stuff like the Jess Varnish case that um, a lot of that was brushed under the carpet and if you read the report it's fairly damning and yeah yeah it all disappeared even though she was honest and open and trying to improve the system for the betterment of it and actually just got shut down. Do you hope that a nation starts to I'm sure other countries are doing it but start to take that approach where empowering your athlete at the grassroots level is going to reap rewards at the end. Yeah, I, I quite literally think that if you join a, a, an academy as a junior in any nation, they should be sitting you down and teaching you about nutrition, about physiology, about aerodynamics, about drivetrain efficiency. Be be nerdy about it. Teach them as if they are students at sixth form at college because their trade is to go fast on a bike and going fast on a bike is not being told you do this session on this day and then you sit in your ass. Going fast on a bike is having your own ideas and your own approach to optimizing your aerodynamics, to deciding what helmet works for you, to every sort of aspect, every little bit to knowing why a bike works, how it works, how it could be done better, how you should eat, how you should sleep, how you should structure your day, your life, uh, all that kind of stuff. Like athletes need to know the impact and the value of every single bit and yeah teach them as if they are students of the sport as if they have gone to college to study high performance cycling do that and i think that's how ngb should be but yeah right now they're not why i don't know thank you for listening if you would like to see the portraits from this week's episode please go to findingspace.cc for more interviews like this please subscribe to the finding space podcast But more importantly, if this story resonated with you, please share. The more we engage with the topic of mental health, the further we can go to break down the stigma.